Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to This Week in Accountable Care. I'm your host, Greg Masters, and we have resumed our weekly scheduled broadcasting, and I'm delighted to say that on the show today, I get to chat with who is making an encore appearance on This Week in Accountable Care, J.D. Kleinke. J.D. Kleinke is a pioneering healthcare information entrepreneur, medical economist, author, policy expert, and business strategist. He's been instrumental in the creation of healthcare information for healthcare information organizations, helps hospital systems, insurers, and physician groups prepare for medical computerization and health reform, provides business product and technology strategy services to new and established healthcare companies, and sat on the boards of several public and privately held health information company companies. J.D. Kleinke has authored three books on the U.S. healthcare system, Bleeding Edge, The Business of Healthcare in the New Century, and Oxymorons, The Myth of a U.S. Healthcare System, and more recently, Catching Babies, published in 2012. J.D.'s work has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Barron's, Health Affairs, JAMA, the British Medical Journal, Modern Healthcare, Managed Healthcare, Forbes, and numerous other publications. Since his earliest writings on health policy and market dynamics in the Wall Street Journal in the early 90s, J.D. has been long known as a forceful, nonpartisan advocate for an evidence-driven, computerized, patient-centric healthcare system. So with that as the formal introduction, and by, might I say he's just an all-around good guy. Uh, J.D., welcome to the broadcast. Well, thanks, Greg. And that was good to have you back. And, um, of course, um, <clears throat> there is no shortage of... Uh, of, of topics in, in health reform and accountable care or accountable care organizations in particular. But let's back up since um, since I saw you last uh, in D.C. a while back. Uh, you, there's been a, a status change in your life, but uh, give us an update on, um, on on where you're at these days. Uh, well, status change, uh, I think that was a year ago. I was uh, in the middle of my one-year fellowship with the American Enterprise Institute, and uh, God, that may even have been before the election. So uh, a lot has shifted then, um, since then. Um, lots has shifted since then. Uh, the I think the belief um, for a big portion of the world back before the election in November, and when I was sitting in that in that chair, was that um, uh, you know the Obamacare stuff was going to go away. It was the big bad dream. The Supreme Court may have lost its mind. But of course, the American people won't lose its mind, and uh, and they're going to throw the bastard out. And uh, of course, none of that happened. We did reelect the president, and um, the Supreme Court didn't did or didn't lose its mind. Uh, but we are now in a year of implementation, for better or for worse. We are trying to make this uh, incredibly complicated thing work. Uh, 
And uh, and that's where everybody is. It's heads down. Um, the other story from Washington that's interesting, and uh, has lots of people talking and, and, and a lot of people not really uh, getting any clarity uh, because there is no real clarity uh, from anybody about all this, is what's really going to happen. Um, the White House has, has been strangely silent. Uh, even the folks from HHS have been strangely silent. But out there, in, in the meanwhile, we've got, I don't know, 30,000, 40,000 people working in earnest, building exchanges, getting their health insurance uh, uh, plan ready to deal with this, uh, employers trying to figure out what, what the hell is going to happen. Um, you know, we, we're in a state of it's, it's, it's suspended animation. We really don't know where we're going to end up, but we do know October 1st is coming. The exchanges are going to go live. Suddenly people are going to be able to enroll in these newfangled things. And then uh, as importantly, more importantly, on January 1st, a whole lot of new rules are going to kick in. Those exchanges will be uh, working or they won't be working. Uh, but uh, more broadly, everyone's very focused on the exchanges, um, but the exchanges are sort of at the margins. The big picture story is on Jan 1. Jan 1... If you're sick, um, suddenly you're protected. You can't get kicked out of a plan. If you want to enroll in health insurance, no one can say no because you were sick. So a whole lot of stuff is coming, and, and, and a whole lot of people are working really, really hard on it. And there isn't a whole lot of political guidance going on. Um, people are wondering, you know, what's happening with the president? The president has uh, made this um, very courageously years ago. He spent a tremendous amount of political capital. Um, some would argue uh, the biggest bet he made in his entire political career was to push through this plan. And now the plan is going slowly into and laboriously into effect. A and uh, there's been a lot of silence. What's really happening? What are they really after? How, how is this thing going to be implemented? Um, into, that into that void, into that vacuum comes um, the naysayers comes a lot of negative press, a lot of people defining it critically, a lot of people saying it won't work. Premiums are going to get out of control. Employers are going to drop coverage. The world's going to blow up. So we have a lot of negative definition of what's supposed to be happening. Not a lot of positive yet. Um, so who knows? Uh, the word from Washington is um, we'll see. Make it work. That's what Bill Clinton said. So we'll see. So, so, so there's this complex law out there, the Affordable Care Act, with many moving parts and predated by the uh, era and the high-tech provisions. Um, all, all this stuff actually is um, interdependent in, in, in mission-critical ways, and if you yank one of the pillars out, it seems that the whole thing could potentially collapse or the value add be uh, uh, materially compromised. Would, would that be a fair characterization? And maybe you could take a minute and, and even outline those four pillars. Well, they are, or, uh, whatever the number is. <laughs> yeah, whatever the number This stuff is, a lot of it's interdependent. You know, the health insurance companies were counting on a very certain interdependency. You know, bring us your sick, bring us your tired, bring us your poor, <laughs> bring us your uninsurable with pre-existing conditions, and we'll insure them. Um, but you're going to have to bring us uh, revenue 
and you're going to have to bring us healthy people, and you're going to have to bring us people who are paying up uh, because they're afraid of a penalty and they're under the mandate and all that stuff. So this was, a, you know, like any attempt at health reform ought to be, especially big ones, um, there are a lot of moving parts that are interdependent. The health insurance industry is counting on if they're going to start to be a, if they're going to start to cover sick people uh, and, and charge them all the same thing um, within much tighter parameters than ever before. And then they're going to they're they're going to count on a whole lot of healthy people showing up uh, and a lot of the poorer ones with subsidized coverage. So all that stuff is interdependent. When you mention high tech, I think you're talking about um, something that's very much related to ACOs. And uh, and that is the other big news in Washington, which is um, the computerization stuff. This is a battle we fought a really long time ago, and I don't know if people are paying attention, but uh, uh, it's hard to pay attention. There are a lot of fights in Washington about a lot of things. Uh, but the fight that's uh, – and it's not as big as immigration or guns or all the other things that, that weren't, weren't solving those problems – uh, but the one that seems to have come back up in healthcare, uh, as it relates to ACOs and as it relates to healthcare IT, and, and I have to say, shockingly, um, we're rethinking whether or not we want to we want to computerize healthcare, whether or not the government has a role in trying to deal with the fact that the market itself won't computerize, that doctors and hospitals and all, all those people have had traditionally for decades have had a disincentive not to computerize, not to get online, not to look at whether or not a patient that they're now seeing has ever been tested as part of the system, what's wrong with them, what's their med list, all that stuff. You know, a battle, an argument I thought we all had agreed on decades ago, not decades ago, you know, ten, a decade and a half ago. And slowly through the Bush administration and then through the Obama administration, we decided computerizing medicine is a good thing. It's a good thing that doctors actually act like factory workers from the 80s and they use a computer and they actually look at what they're doing. They share information and all that stuff. And it's a long, slow, miserable, torturous road to get there. But, you know, the problem didn't get solved overnight. The solution isn't perfect. And there's a lot of malcontents out there. Those malcontents have, you know, and they're always out there. And they, they, we see them, they publish, and they, and they're on the blogs, and they're out there. But all of a sudden, they seem to have gotten, um, they seem to have gotten enough attention on Capitol Hill, uh, and that attention has aligned really nicely, unfortunately, with people who just, you know, if Obama said it, it must be wrong. If Obama did it, it must be horrible. And there are people on Capitol Hill that, well, this is an Obama program. We have to figure out how to attack it. And so, for better or for worse, a program which is to create a system to subsidize and fix and deal with and slowly get us onto the road to computerization of healthcare. Something started under the prior administration, George W. Bush, under David Braylor. That idea, and it is a 20-year process, and that's when I go back, back that far politically, that thing suddenly is now a monstrosity of the Obama administration. That's under attack. And the reason I'm, I'm belaboring this and digressing is because critical to it, an ACL, critical to the future healthcare, if we actually are going to figure out how to take care of people, reduce costs, make it, you know, improve quality, minimize bad outcomes, all of that stuff, 
take errors out of the system, all the stuff we need to do. The whole point of really the ACO, which is to which is to remake, truly reform the way we do patient care in this country, that's going to require computerization, right? Tracking somebody when they come in to the hospital, tracking them when they leave, making sure they're compliant on their medications, making sure they're not getting two medications from two doctors that are going to conflict and kill them. Really basic ideas. That requires computerization. That's not a straight line. We all know when we first got our first computer or we switched from PC to Mac or whatever it was, that's a, that's a difficult process. We're trying to do that on a grand scale for a sixth of the economy. The computerization of medicine, that is a really long, slow, hard, difficult process. It doesn't occur in straight lines, and God, it has generated, as we all know, a tremendous amount and complexity and dislocation and angst in people. And the people that have that angst, and, they, and they're very good at expressing it, have gotten an audience on Capitol Hill. So suddenly, I can't believe we're fighting a rear guard action in this. I thought, again, I thought we had had this argument a long time ago. But the big news in Washington right now is that we're actually having a significant resistance to should we continue to fund the conversion of physician and hospital practices to computerized systems. Yeah, and, and then here comes Big T six months ago, and uh, about all that, and you know, so there's we're now dealing with a, a like a serious rear guard action, Greg, and it's kind of, it's just kind of, I guess it would have been predicted, but it's, it's a little disappointing. Uh, 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 I, I don't think this is a digression in any way, shape, or form, because infrastructure as the central spine of any vision around accountable care or the triple aim is, you know, is it's non-negotiable. And if you look at the the business models, the sustainable business models that actually work out there, uh, infrastructure, uh, health IT infrastructure is is the central spine. So, no mm-hmm. diversion as far as I can tell. But uh, other than this internecine government that we seem to have, which is circle the wagons and shoot in kind of philosophy, what compelling argument could there conceivably be? against defunding uh, high-tech and, and the incentives to adopt um, EHRs other than, okay, it's early in the game. There's some limited examples where, you know, maybe this doesn't always add value. In fact, it can add cost and, and maybe be some interoperability issues and possibly quality issues. But what what, what conceivable argument could they, could they be making? And is this a serious look-see? Or just maybe a whim of a senator or two. Well, it's a, that's a that's a really good that that is the question. And if you look at the there's published research and there's a tremendous amount of opinion on the internet, um, and all of it relates to all of it that's legitimate relates to this is disruptive. This screws up the clinical workflow. This complicates things. It used to work this way. It didn't work so well, but it worked. And now we're tearing it up and we're starting over. And uh, any time you automate, I, again, I remember the first time I switched from handwriting to using a computer. First time we all switched from using DOS to using Windows and then from using a PC to using a Mac. We lose time and we lose effort. And it's confusing and, and, there's, and there's downtime. And those are trivial compared to being a doctor 
and working with a stethoscope and writing something down and barking orders at a nurse versus I'm actually going to chart somebody electronically. That's a much bigger deal than going from PC to Mac or going from handwriting to, but it's the medical equivalent. So it is disruptive, and we are in the middle of it, and it's not going to just take a week. It's going to take years. And in the middle of that, you have this huge backlash of, of people who are legitimately, legitimately concerned about disruption, patients who fall through the cracks in the middle of all of that. You know, there will be problems. The systems won't be perfect. There will be downtime. All those things will happen. Um, but you know what? Those things happened in the old world also. Patients were lost. Notes were missed. People didn't call back. People got lost in phone tag. And those people also died. And those medical errors also occurred. But you know what? You just chalk that up to the way the world was. Now we can chalk it up to the disruption to the clinical workflow. So that's all real. That's all legitimate, and it is a horrendous mm-hmm. disruption. That's kind yeah. of legitimate. Then now we get into the kind of less legitimate, darker stuff. There are people out there, and they're equally as vocal, and they're very articulate, who are just pissed. They're mad at managed care. They're mad that their dreams didn't come true. They're mad they didn't get rich. They didn't become God. Whatever reason that they thought they were going to or they were going to take over. And, and, you know, and then those are the same people who crusaded against managed care. And then they crusaded against data. They crusaded against ratings. They crusaded against accountability. They crusaded against transparency. There is a very vocal class of people, mostly led by physicians of a certain generation, who are mad. And it doesn't matter why they're mad. And it doesn't matter what the source of that madness is. They're just pissed. So the latest thing to be pissed about, because it's not managed care anymore, and it's not the drug companies because they're not doing so well anymore, and it's, you know, it's it's EMRs. This is the latest reason I don't make a million dollars a year and I'm not God anymore. (laughs) But I'll make it about EMRs, okay? You know what I'm talking about, Greg? Yes, I do. I think it's a target-rich environment, yes. (laughs) It is a target-rich environment, for malcontents. And the psychological phenomenon is known as projection. This is the thing that, you know, I really, I'm really frustrated because, you know, I sacrificed 10 years of my life and I went to pre-med and I didn't have any fun and then I went to med school and I suffered and then I went to residency and I suffered. And, and, and now you expect me to use a computer like an ordinary secretary? And they're pissed. And so they take it all out on the EMR world and all these crooked people at all these vendors and, and all these corrupt government officials. And it's just it's just a gigantic act of psychological projection for all of their professional frustrations. And it's so that's the third re- second reason, and that's dark. Now, it's really the third thing that's particularly dark about this, and this is the problem that we have politically with Obamacare, is there, is, there are people out there who don't care about this. They don't care about health care. They don't care about computerization. They just want to get the president, right? They just don't like the status quo. They have political agendas. They are ideologues. They don't like the government. They don't like President Obama for one reason or another. And so this must be bad. This must be Obama's fault. It's raining. Blame the president. That's also bizarre. That also is, you know, very effective on Capitol Hill. 
because half the people on Capitol Hill, if it's raining, it's the president. You know, right? This right. question is the president, whatever. And so there's a weird ideological, it has nothing to do with healthcare, nothing to do with computers. Nonetheless, there is a very strong um, current in Washington, which is if something in life, if you have a canker sore, it's the president's fault. <laughs> and so that's what's going with a lot of the ER. It's the Obama administration. I'm like, you yeah. guys. This yeah. is a program adopted under the Bush administration. This right. idea started with David Braylor. It was a good mm-hmm. idea a long time ago, and it was supported by a guy named Tom Frist, Republican mm-hmm. Senate Majority Leader. It was implemented by a guy named David Braylor, a Republican, under a Republican president, right? This isn't mm-hmm. our idea, you know, but yeah, nonetheless, we've yeah. now inherited it. So it's, right. Suddenly it's now and, an ideological problem. And the at least the... And the ideological antecedents run to the fact that the HMO Act was also offered by a Republican president, as in Richard Nixon. So, you know, that's part. I'm listening to you, and I'm sinking into a little bit of darkness. I'm wondering, you know, the East Coast needs to come to the West Coast and get a little more sunshine, you know, in in their chemistry, because there there might be a little less propensity to to want to point the fingers and project on others. But then again, that just could be my '60s idea. Idealism coming coming back, but it can it is is there a possibility for a Rodney King moment where we can all get along here, or is this are we just destined to spiral into a uh, a black hole where the government literally just says steps in and says okay party's over you know top down single payer. Well, that that I don't think that's going to happen. I think that the Rodney King moment, and I had hoped that the EMR would be the Rodney King moment, where when, in you know, 10 years ago, when you saw Hillary Clinton standing on stage with Newt Gingrich, and they they said computerizing healthcare would solve a lot of these problems. It's nonpartisan. Who's against the computerized healthcare system? How is that a Democrat versus a Republican thing? That could have been the Rodney King moment. The Rodney King moment is going to, you know, the next one, if we could have one, will be when the implementation of Obamacare works out okay. It's not going to solve all the problems in life, and there'll still be people without insurance. There'll still be cost problems and all that. But a lot of the stuff at the margins, the wild, crazy stuff, the people getting dumped by the ER because they're dying or the people that can't get any insurance at all because they had cancer, the crazy, outrageous stuff at the margins is going to get reined in by this plan. You know, the most egregious, ugly stuff that healthcare in America can produce is going to get reined in. So that could be our Rodney King moment as well. Uh, I don't want to dwell too much on the EMR stuff, and I think the EMR stuff will eventually get fixed. I really just hope, and I think anyone listening that's interested in this can have some impact on this, is we need to give computers the benefit of the doubt. Look what they've done for every other part of our lives. Look at how they've affected every other industry. And we just need to give them a couple of years. You know, we're just two, three years into a conversion that, you know, the auto industry took 20 years to integrate computers. The office work, it, we're still dealing with that. It takes decades to change the culture of work in any industry. And that's before you add the culture of medicine, which is the most nuanced, subtle, 
information intensive, intuitive, you know, gigantically complex work. There's nothing more complex than diagnosing a patient, right, and, ta- and taking care of them and treating them over time and tracking them over time and space. And we need to just give this stuff a couple years to work out before we instantly turn on it and say, this wasn't, you know, this, this is a false god. This wasn't the panacea. This didn't fix everything that was wrong with healthcare. Well, no one ever said it would. But we do know that a computerized healthcare system is, a be- is better than a paper-based, memory-based, phone-tag-based system. It has to be. It has to be. And then so, so, that becomes the foundation for our, our form system that does track people based on outcome and, and quality and all these other things that, that require knowledge. So let's pivot to basically at least the role of the accountable care organization or a derivative form, call it what you may, accountable care enterprise. Where are you on the on the uh, the bullish bearish scale for for this being a proactive part of the macro solution? Talk about what you're seeing both at the macro level and whatever you can share from maybe some micro experience of individual. Um, oh, my, my friends out there in the real world, they are at the ACS if I'm as bearish as ever, and it's not because of Obamacare, and it's not because of any of the other things that um, a politician may pronounce. And there'll be, there'll be big news out of you know Washington about the latest attempt to do all this stuff. The ACO stuff that works is day-to-day blocking and tackling contracting between a group of providers and a payer. And I, I think that stuff, even if Obamacare had never been created or passed or if it had been repealed or he had gotten uh, – he, he had not been reelected, um, the, uh, and so Obamacare went away, um, the ACO idea hasn't, it, it transcends all of that. The ACO, the genius of the, of the Obamacare plan, and the reason it's so complicated is because it's, it's not disrupting much. It's just cramming 30 million people into the existing system as complicated as Medicaid over here, employers over there, and all that other stuff, right? Uh, so um, as that it's the ACO, all the Obama plan does is try to accelerate a reality that was already in place, a trajectory we are already on. Humana, Cigna, WellPoint, all of the big plans in this country who understand this problem and have been struggling with it for decades have been trying to put in place global payments, withholds, bonuses for, for good outcomes. These are not new ideas. These are not new ideas at all. These are these are decades-long ideas, which is fee-for-service is, is a corrupt stupid system. We need to pay doctors and hospitals to, to get along, to work together, to share data, to figure out the best way to take care of people, to make sure that people when they're sick are compliant with their medication orders and, and, and try to do as good a job as we can at getting them better and keeping them better and keeping them out of the system, right? That idea is not an Obamacare idea. That idea has been around for a very long time. That idea goes back to the, the HMO Act of the 70s, and it's what Kaiser has been trying to build forever. And So that stuff, about, you know, the fundamental impulse behind the ACL is Obamacare independent. It, it, Obamacare, because it is a violent endorsement of the status quo, simply tried to seize on what was hot, 
and new and the latest way of packaging the same old idea, and this is the same old idea I've just been describing, um, that's going to outlast this sort of daily political wiggle of Obamacare good, Obamacare bad. Will it work? Won't it work? Humana, Cigna, Aetna, WellPoint, these guys are changing the way they're paying for care, finally, slowly. Uh, that does nothing to do with health reform. Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, you even think about uh, the the irony of ACL-based uh, payment. In Obamacare, it's not affecting the exchange plans. It's about Medicare. It is even, it, it, it's a separate population. But they managed to cram it into the Obamacare bill because that's when, when they could do that. Uh, but the actual payments that are in play under Obamacare for an ACL are Medicare withholds or Medicare bonuses based on Medicare, not on the exchange folks. Uh, the ACL is an idea that has that that, goes, that predates this president and that will outlast. Well, I didn't mean to stop you there. <clears throat> We're just going to wind down the live portion of the broadcast, uh, JD. If you do have some time, I, I want to follow through with your history lesson, which is, I think, essential context for people to put their arms around and grasp what's going on here because we, we do need we do need some advocacy out there to, to, to uh, communicate and convey a complex piece of legislation as to its benefits so as it works its way through uh, actually so folks um, are, are you can you hang out for a little bit JD sure okay so we're going to wind down the live portion of the broadcast. I've been speaking with J.D. Kleinke, economist and innovative thinker in the health reform sphere. We're going to continue in overtime. Thanks for joining us. Okay, thanks, J.D. Um, <clears throat> a little bit of flow disruption between live and archived uh, show, but... You know, it's it's so it's so important to understand um, what you're talking about, particularly that um, an, an accountable care organization or the ACO provisions inside the Affordable Care Act is really nothing new. It's simply almost a rebranding at another level of what's already happening in the marketplace. You know, some have said kind of what I'm getting at with you is many have looked at ACOs as, well, they won't work, too little, too late, HMO light, no teeth. You know, how could that work when even HMOs are failing, broadly, broad brush when even HMOs are failing, subject to interpretation. But it's simply a, you know, an expression of blocking and tackling vision, integration, alignment of incentives, you know, and getting providers and payers to, to on the same hymnal. You know, that's really what it's about. Unfortunately, I mean, what I'm seeing is in the ACO sphere from the Medicare Shared Savings Program point of view, whether it's the Pioneers or the Advanced Payment Model or the Standard Program, everyone thinks of an ACO in terms of Medicare Shared Savings. But there's also derivatives out there in the commercial space, which are much, much less regulated, if you will, and, and really come down to smart terms and conditions and contracts that are out there reporting incredible, incredible results, bed day uh, uh, reductions, admit reductions, 40, 50 percent. 
you know. So, you know, there are those who are in that internecine warfare, you know, and then there are those out there doing. So what are you seeing on the doing front? Well, the doing front is like I said earlier. It's it's and and you just said it's 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 in the real world and it's one contract at a time because you can't solve the whole world. If you're an ACO and you are trying to survive, you got a payer mix and you've got a bottom line, right? And you can't do anything stupid. You can't kill yourself to do the right thing because you're going to reduce your revenue from. You know, well planned because you started doing the right thing. You're going to have to, in your well, I'm being very specific about an imaginary California-based healthcare system. You're going to have to say to WellPoint, unless you guys are willing to pay us on a case rate basis for this kind of patient over here, and I'm talking very specific contract language, right? For people that had con- congestive heart failure or hip replacement, unless you pay them, us this much money over here. We're gonna change nothing, and we're gonna run the table, right? <laughs> we're gonna like, we're gonna like pay the docs, and we're gonna like yeah. not give, not not care if the patients get well. And we're gonna stick them out there in the cab, and they're gonna drive away, and hopefully they'll be okay. But if they're not okay, it's not so bad for us. They come back, you know. You've got a very very specific. It's it's a payer by payer game, you know. For all the huge talk, Greg. And you and I, you know, can get into this like anybody, right? For all the big, huge talk about the system ought to change and people ought to skin in the game and Congress ought to, like, you know, go to the moon and, you know, um, it comes down to a type of patient and it comes down to a payer contract. What is WellPoint going to pay you for or not? And, and that's what you do, and, and right. if it's a big enough payer, and I say California and WellPoint, not randomly. It has to no, be no, a big payer. It has to yeah. be a big, really big payer with enough volume yeah. that you're going to screw right. around and have meetings and make and tell your yeah. doctors to, to 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 get your head off the phone, pay attention because here's what's happening with WellPoint because they represent a third of our payer, our patients in here, right? And it, it but it it comes down to very very um, tactical. This payer, this contract, this population, and if it's a big enough payer and a big enough population, that will then foment culture change right. laterally to the small payers, to the medium payers. Yeah. You know, because you're not going to change anything if you're a pension plan in in Orange County or your your, your peripheral payer in California. You got to be, you have to be a big payer. Right. And that's the thing, because yeah. you know, it requires it requires <clears throat> We're not just talking about changing. We're talking about reversing decades of weird incentives based in screwed-up cultural stuff. And I'm glad you mentioned WellPoint because the antecedent organization, Blue Cross of California, um, in its really, uh, shall I say, most, in the beginning of its innovation cycle, which dates back to the 80s, I would say, Leonard Schaefer, you know, former administrator of HICFA, comes and retools uh, uh, Blue Cross of California, and out comes the Prudent Buyer Plan. And this thing called the PPO is invented on top of a very limited HMO um, uh, line. But they continue to morph. WellPoint takes formation, and then WellPoint, seeing the future, acquires CareMore, 
which has kind of that whole disease management, retooling the en- the enterprise, managing the patient at the level of point of care from a population perspective, and watch CareMore retool WellPoint. You know the t- the the wag the dog thing here. So th- there's a I don't know if you saw it, but I came across a um, report today by Oliver Wyman. And they have a case study, which they are featuring among others, uh, what CareMore is doing in 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 their uh, in their model. So, if you haven't seen it, I'll send it to you. Okay. No, and Leonard, Leonard Schaefer was a very smart is a very smart man, and he said one of the most interesting things to me in my entire career. One of the things that I'll never forget. We were sitting here talking, and we were with the CEO of a big drug company, and Leonard and somebody else, very smart guy. And um, I kept referring to pointing to Leonard as the payer. Well, the payer will do this. Well, the payer. And Leonard finally interrupts me and he says, J.D., stop calling me the payer. I don't like the payer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they don't like the payer. So if, you, yeah. if somebody, an ACO or somebody else can figure out a way, right. at right. the end of the day, is a zero-sum game. Yeah. It's a zero-sum yeah. game. It comes down to they don't want to pay and you yeah. and you, the provider, want to make more money. Right, yeah. so the money has to come from somewhere. Right. If that somewhere can come from disease or stupidity or suffering, then you both win, right? And Leonard gets that, and, and I think the, the smart people that run the ACOs get that as well. We just need to figure out a way that the person who ought to be paying isn't WellPoint, and it isn't the hospital uh, slash doctor corporation. It ought to be suffering. It ought to be the person it ought to be like the rest of us, the public health, whoever. But but Leonard was very smart about that. He got that right away. And um we just need to get that authenticated one that, contract. Uh, that's great. That's great. Um I uh I, let me I'm tied to that whole argument is um do you think Medicare Advantage contractors have an inherent advantage in the ACO space, and can ACOs compete with Medicare Advantage contractors in their market? Well, that's a great question. That's kind of the same question, right? The uh, Yes. Medicare Advantage is the model. A Medicare Advantage is an, an at-risk program for dealing with a publicly paid benefit, and they, it, to the degree that the Medicare Advantage programs have tried to move towards some kind of global payment, some kind of fixed payment for a case, whatever it is, then they are ready um, for the uh, brave new world generally. The exchange plan or anybody else that's going to come along and say, you know, I don't want to pay for you for service for this stuff. You guys get paid to screw up, and I don't think that's a good thing. So a Medicare Advantage plan that actually is taking charge of a population or doing some capitated-based payment or whatever it is, is perfectly situated. Well, there you have it. That, that's going to that's gonna have to be the last word from J.D. Kleinke, a man whose uh, thoughts, opinions, and actions have always uh, inspired me. Um, you can follow J.D. <clears throat> online at jdkonline.com. He is a prolific a writer, author, blogger. Many of his uh, posts also appear on the healthcare blog. And there's just a 
just a litany here. I, you know, the conservative case for Obamacare in the New York Times, Fool's Gold Rush, Obamacare and the Medicaid Opportunity on Forbes. Uh, you know, he's got uh, a list of uh, uh, really seminal posts in, in the um, in the health reform area. So I encourage you to follow JD, and he's also on Twitter. JDK on Health. Follow him on Twitter as well. JD, thanks for your time. I uh, always enjoy um, our chat together, and I look forward to our paths crossing. Will you be going to, by any chance, are you going to D.C. for Health Innovation Week, Health Data Palooza, all that stuff? I will be there. Excellent. I well, we'll look forward to you then. <laughs> okay. Well, Jay, we've been speaking with J.D. Kleinke. This is Greg Masters for This Week in Accountable Care. Please join us next, next week for another episode. And thanks for joining, everybody. Bye now. Thanks, J.D. Okay. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.